The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 20, Of Christian Liberty and Liberty of Conscience, Paragraph 1. The liberty which Christ hath purchased for believers under the gospel consists in their freedom from the guilt of sin, the condemning wrath of God, the curse of the moral law, and in their being delivered from this present evil world, bondage to Satan and dominion of sin from the evil of afflictions, the sting of death, the victory of the grave, and everlasting damnation, as also in their free access to God and their yielding obedience unto him, not out of slavish fear, but a childlike love and willing mind, all which were common also to believers under the law, but under the New Testament, the liberty of Christians is further enlarged in their freedom, from the yoke of the ceremonial law to which the Jewish church was subjected, and in greater boldness of access to the throne of grace, and in fuller communications of the free spirit of God than believers under the law did ordinarily partake of. Freedom and liberty are words which we have often taken for granted, but in this past year of 2020, we have perhaps begun to realise for the first time just how precious they are. This has been a year where we have undergone several periods of lockdown and our basic freedoms and liberties that again we have taken for granted as if they would never disappear, well suddenly they have disappeared. Currently as I speak we are unable to meet publicly because of Covid And certainly you and I have gone through a period where we have been unable to see one another, we've been unable to visit family and friends as we once did, and all of a sudden we do not feel as free as we once were. With all of this has come many frustrations, and there are some in our societies who feel like Mel Gibson back in his Braveheart days wanting to shout for freedom, because according to Big Mel, you can take our lives, but you'll never take our freedom. Whilst that movie reference might seem obscure now, it is probably about 25 years old, it rings true for the Christian, because for the one who is trusted in Christ, they have a freedom and a liberty which not even death can remove from them. Chapter 20 of the Westminster Confession takes up the subject of Christian liberty and liberty of conscience, a much under-preached and much misunderstood concept in the world of Christian thinking. Paragraph 1 begins by stating, 
that the liberty which Christ hath purchased for believers under the gospel consists in their freedom from the guilt of sin, the condemning wrath of God, and the curse of the moral law. The divines straight away set out their stall, making it absolutely clear that if we have any freedom whatsoever, any liberty worth preaching, then it is Christ who has purchased it for us. Jesus has purchased for believers under the gospel our liberty. That event at Calvary all those years ago had long-lasting significance. It had dramatic ramifications, and all of those who have received it by faith have been set free by the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are at liberty today, it is not because we give up our lives to an English king, as perhaps William Wallace once did. We have freedom because Jesus Christ the King laid down his life as a ransom for many. And so as we set out that particular stall, it is also important to understand what liberty it is that Jesus has purchased for us. So the Westminster divines speak of this liberty consisting in numerous ways. They state here that we are free from the guilt of sin, that we are free from the condemning wrath of God, and we are free from the curse of the moral law. It is no wonder that the Westminster divines begin in this place. They state three things which are worth meditating upon all by themselves. That as Christians we are free today from the guilt of sin. We no longer stand before a holy God to hear his term, you are guilty. Instead, because we have received Christ by faith, he has considered the guilty one. And through faith in him, his righteousness has been imputed to our account. It is written, says Paul in Galatians 3 and 13, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, who redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. No longer are we guilty in the sight of God, but we are free, absolutely free, from any punishment that was once due to us. We are confident today that Christ has set us free and put us at liberty from the condemning wrath of God. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 10 that we are to wait for the Son from heaven who was raised from the dead. It is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Anytime we speak of the wrath of God, I'm fully aware that people's eyes roll about in their heads. For after all, our God is a God of love and a God of grace. He is certainly not a God who will judge anyone or is angry about anything. But my friends, if you have believed this, then you have believed a falsehood. Just as our God is love, just as our God is a God of grace, so too he is a God of wrath. And his righteous anger burns against sin of all kinds. And yet the Christian has been set free from this condemning wrath of God. And so we are able to be confident in the last day that we will stand in the judgment and that God's wrath has been poured out upon Christ instead of us. In this way we speak of Jesus as a propitiation for our sin. He is the sacrifice that has turned away the wrath of God. And as the divines continue, they state clearly that we are free at liberty from the curse of the moral law. The moral law is not able to save us. Certainly, as we discovered last time out, the moral law is still in force for the Christian. The civic and the ceremonial laws have been fulfilled by Christ and are no longer binding on his church. But the moral law of God stands forever. 
We are to honour our parents. We are to keep the Sabbath day holy. We are not to take the Lord's name in vain. Yes, we are to do these things, but the moral law cannot save. And in this sense, we are free from its curse. There are many who are trapped today in striving to keep the moral law. They have bought into an idea of a covenant of works. If I do all of these good things, God will save me. Without knowing it, even in their best intentions, these men and women have fallen under a curse. But Christ Jesus and his sacrifice and his keeping perfectly of the covenant of works and God's law means that those who have trusted in Christ have been set free from the curse of the moral law. And so we are people of Titus 2 and verse 14, men and women of God's own possession who are zealous for good works. We do these good works to please and to honour God, knowing that they do not save, for we have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so with these three important standards set out before us, the Westminster Divines continue, speaking about the life that we live currently. We have been set free, they say, in being delivered from this present evil world, bondage to Satan and dominion of sin. As men and women of faith, we understand that this evil world is falling away. There will come a time when the earth and the heavens will be consumed by fire and a new heaven and a new earth will be put in place, a place where righteousness dwells. But this does not strike us with fear. Instead, we, through faith in Christ, have been set free from the bonds of this present evil age and we are being delivered from it. Paul describes his ministry in this way in Acts 26 and verse 18 that he has been sent to open the eyes of the Gentiles so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. And so it is through the preaching of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit that sinners like us have been set free from the bonds of Satan and this present evil world and dominion of sin so that we may gaze upon Christ and know that we have been redeemed from the pit. Satan is the strong man that Jesus spoke about and Jesus bound him and has robbed the strong man's house. And with this image in our minds, we can see what it means that we have been set at liberty from bondage to Satan. Christ has raided the strong man's house and removed from it precious souls. We are no longer under the roof of Satan, but we are part of the family and household of God. Now this doesn't mean that you and I are made perfect. Certainly that will come when we go to glory, but currently we are sinful and yet at the same time, we are justified. It is, as Martin Luther once said, we are simul just et peccator. And so understanding this, we know that as a believer, we will at times fall into sin. But we know as well the gift of repentance. And as we repent daily of our sins, we know and believe that our Lord is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is, as Paul says in Romans 6 and verse 14, Sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. A radical transformation has taken place in the believer's life. We have been taken from the household of Satan. We no longer fear death. We are delivered from this present evil world. And it was done for us 
by Jesus himself. Paul describes it in this way in Galatians 1 and verse 4. Jesus gave himself over for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And in Colossians 1 and verse 13, Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we are free. We are free indeed. And just as we have hope for today, we also have a glorious hope for tomorrow. For the divines continue and say that we have been set free from the evil of afflictions, the sting of death, the victory of the grave, and everlasting damnation. In other words, we have been set free from the terrors that are still to come. And so when we find ourselves afflicted in this life, we know that we are not lost. Whatever it is that we face, we understand that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we know as well, as it is written in Romans 8 and verse 28, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Even the most evil of afflictions that visit us in this life cannot rob us from our hope and our faith in Jesus. Indeed, even in our last day, we have been set at liberty from the sting of death. Now this does not mean that the Christian will never die. We know that surely as God has led us into this life, a day will come where we will be called out of it. Death will come, but the Christian will be free from its sting. It is as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian need not fear death. The Christian knows that they will not be held by the grave. And the Christian understands that everlasting damnation is not their eternal destination. Friends, understand this truth. Only the Christian has this hope. And many cross their fingers and hope for the best when death comes. But if you want to flee from everlasting damnation, then you must be set free by Christ. And the only path to freedom is by grace alone, through faith alone. In Christ alone. It is by this wonderful grace that we have, as the Westminster Divines call it, free access to God. By faith in Christ, we can be confident and draw near to the Lord. We are at perfect liberty to do this. It is as we read in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Our chains have been taken from us, we have been set free, and today with full confidence and assurance of faith we can draw near to Almighty God. And not only draw near to him, but yield obedience unto him as the Westminster Divines continue, not out of slavish fear, but a childlike love and willing mind. We've discussed before in this podcast the fear of God, and we have made the distinction between servile fear and filial fear. 
We see that here in the words of the Westminster Divines, as they too make this distinction. We are obedient unto God and are at liberty to be obedient to him, not out of slavish fear, not out of servile fear. We have been set free from such fear. The servant fears their master. The servant fears their master's punishment. Indeed, the servant might even fear falling out of their master's good books. This is not the Christian fear. This is servile fear and does not describe the fear of God that we have. Instead, our fear of God is a childlike fear. And it is a childlike love and willing mind with which we obey our Lord. And so every day, as we seek to obey the Lord, it is because we love him and seek to honour him and cherish him above all else. It is, as Paul writes in Romans 8, 14-15, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. As John writes in 1 John 4 and 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so the Christian has been set free to obey the Lord and to fear him as a child fears their father, not as a slave fears their master. As paragraph one moves quickly to a close, the Westminster divines do not lose any of their usefulness. Their next statement reminds us that there is only one church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it did not begin at Pentecost. Paul writes that the liberty that we've been talking about today was also common to believers under the law. It is a small sentence, it is a small point, but it is worth thinking about and meditating upon. We are not the first to believe in Christ. The church of Jesus Christ began in the very beginning as Adam and Eve received coverings for their nakedness, coverings which the Lord himself had provided. Indeed, the covenant of grace was verbalized publicly in Genesis 3, And so the church has always longed for the Saviour to come, and today the church longs for their Saviour to return. Anyone in the Old Testament who was saved was saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Yes, he still had to come to earth and to take on flesh, but they looked forward expectantly and with faith to the work that would be accomplished on their behalf. And so it is right to call Abraham the father of faith. As Paul writes in Galatians 3 and verse 9, So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And Paul, speaking about the Gentiles in Galatians 3 and verse 14, says that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Abraham was a saved man and Abraham was not saved by works. Moses was a saved man, and Moses was not saved by works. They received the gospel. They believed it. They trusted in the Christ who was to come. And this same Christ set them free and put them at liberty. However, the divines do tell us that there is some difference under the New Testament 
indeed after Christ came and completed his work. They write that under the New Testament, the liberty of Christians is further enlarged in their freedom from the yoke of the ceremonial law to which the Jewish church was subjected. I love the sentence, it is so rich and so full, makes it clear that the Church of Jesus Christ at a time was largely from a Jewish background. Now we know not totally, and you understand that as you read through the scriptures, not everyone who was part of the church in those days was a Jew, but yes, the majority of them were. And this Jewish church, a church under age as we heard them described last time out, they found themselves under the yoke of the ceremonial law. Even though we are now in chapter 20, chapter 19 still speaks. And again, an understanding of the law of God is entirely helpful and useful in a believer's life. Once more, and I trust I do not bore you, there is the civic and the ceremonial and the moral law. Only the moral law remains in force, but Christ completely fulfilled the civic and the ceremonial laws. And so the church today is no longer subject to the ceremonial law which the Jewish church found itself under. They worshipped with type and shadow. They came clinging on to a little lamb. But today Christ has come. Christ has completed his work at Calvary. Christ has been raised from the dead and therefore the ceremonial law has been put away. This teaching still often troubles the Church of Jesus Christ today, and it certainly did in Acts chapter 15. There were some in those days teaching that unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. However, after much debate and discussion, it was Peter who stood up and said, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Peter could not have been any clearer. There are not many churches. There is the one church. There are not several paths of salvation. There is only the gospel, preached in the beginning and preached to the end of time before Christ comes. It is a gospel of grace, not of works. It is a gospel of freedom, not a yoke of slavery. And today, if anyone has ever been saved, either before Christ or after Christ came, they have been saved by the gospel of grace, through faith in Jesus. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, and therefore we are not to submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so believers, from the very beginning to this present day, have a blessed unity. We are part of the Holy Catholic Church, the Church Triumphant, and the Church Militant. However, on this side of the cross, we, say the divines, have a greater boldness of access to the throne of grace. How can this be? Simply because Christ has come, Christ has died and rose again, and today he is our great High Priest. Paul writes in Hebrews 4 and verse 14 and 16, 
Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Christ today stands over his church. He is our great high priest, tempted and tried in every way and yet without sin. And so we can approach the throne with greater boldness than those who looked through a glass dimly, expecting a saviour still to come. And indeed, although believers in the Old Testament received the Holy Spirit as the divine's right, we have a fuller communication of the free spirit of God than them. In 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 13, Paul writes of the ministry of Moses, where he had to put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. And as he continues to state in verse 17 to 18 of that very same chapter, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In other words, Christ's sacrifice at Calvary has brought a dramatic change to this world, and especially to his bride, the Church. Beforehand, the bride were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, who was yet to come. Beforehand, they were still partakers of the Holy Spirit. And yet, after Christ coming, and after him taking up his office as great high priest, we have greater boldness and fuller communications of the Spirit of God than our forefathers did in times gone past. We should not take this lightly. We should be incredibly thankful for these rich and abundant blessings. And today, my brothers and sisters, regardless of lockdown and regardless of the chains that government have placed upon us, it still remains for the children of God that in Christ we are free. We are free indeed. As always today, here are some questions for you to consider. Question 1. If the Christian is free, who has won that freedom for us? Question 2. In this paragraph, the Westminster Divines outline 15 blessings that come with our freedom. How many can you name? Question 3. What is the difference between filial and servile fear? Which one does the Christian have when it comes to God? Question 4. Give evidence to support the statement that Adam and Eve were the first members of the Church of Jesus Christ. And question 5. The Westminster Divines outline that Christians before Christ's coming also shared the same liberties and freedom as we do. But there are three differences that are outlined as the chapter comes to a close. What are those differences? That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn. And until next time, this we confess.